Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog back with another episode of Epic Proportions. You know, multiple people have been reaching out to us wanting to hear a millennial's perspective on marketing and advertising. Well, we are giving you what you asked for because my guest today is a millennial marketing maven with over 16 years of digital marketing experience. And who I'm referring to is none other than Dylan Ogline. Now, to give you some background on Dylan, he's a high school dropout from a small country town of Pennsylvania. He started his first business when he was 14 selling cell phones. And in 2016, he scrapped over 10 business projects and started focusing on one single thing, digital marketing. Now, tired from struggling, getting no progress, and working from his freezing basement, not to mention nearly a million dollars in debt, it was definitely an uphill climb. Now, it turns out, focus was the key. Four short years later, he has built Ogline Digital into a seven-figure agency, generating over a million dollars in sales three years running. Now, Dylan is now a leading expert in direct response advertising and business growth. He has now turned his focus to helping other people start and grow their own hyper-profitable digital agency. Now, Dylan undoubtedly believes that anybody can start and build their own digital agency that will allow them to have more freedom and live a life with purpose and meaning, and he wants to give everyone possible the tools to do just that. Now, when not working, he enjoys traveling around the world at least three months of the year, playing hockey, reading, and spending time with the love of his life, LaCroix. Dylan, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cock Podcast. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm ready. I love it, man. Now, listen, when I read that you have a love of LaCroix, is that the water or is that somebody's name? <laughs> you know, you're the second person to ask me that. No, it's LaCroix, the, uh, the, the, the sparkling water. It's like, I don't know. It's just like become part of my, oh, God forbid I'm going to say this, the, my brand, as you could say. Like, I always have a LaCroix in my hand. Actually, right now I don't, but uh, I always have LaCroix and, and, uh, and my girlfriend got me like a sticker for my Mac and I got like the LaCroix t-shirt and I got the LaCroix socks and I'm just like a LaCroix fanboy. So, uh, wow. so yeah, it's like part of the brand, I guess. Now, was it an acquired taste or did you just love it right out, right out of the gate when you tasted it? Uh, it was, it was an obsession from, from day one. I knew I like, you mentioned it, the love of my life. It was love at first sight. I t- the first time I tasted LaCroix, I knew. I knew I had found my purpose. <laughs> wow. So you'd be toasting LaCroix at your, at your wedding, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if there was a Dylan Ogline LaCroix-sponsored flavor, what would it be? I mean, if they, their, their flavors are really weird. I'd probably, I mean, I'd probably go with like a, the Pample Moose is my favorite. Uh, I wish they would come up with like custom ones or more. I'd, I'd like to see like a blueberry one, something like that. But Pample, Pample Moose, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But <laughs> that's my, that's my go-to right there. could be the uh the dylan ogline marketing melon i don't know i'm just throwing it out there or yeah, mango I, marketing mango i don't know marketing mango i love it yes now i need to just get in contact with the with the Lacroix people and get a sponsorship going it's all about the pitch my friend <laughs> now i gotta tell you you got yourself dylan into a million dollars in debt you're hustling from day one right you're out there slanging cell phones and you, you got into business, you got into a million dollars. How did you get yourself into a million dollars of debt? And how did you get out of it? Uh, so, so that included a lot of, uh, I had two real estate investments at the time, at the, at the peak. It was like nine, nine, 975 or 992, which is two completely different numbers, obviously. But I, like those are the two numbers stuck in my head. So it's just shy of a million. 
the big problem, you know, looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty. The big problem, why I wasn't having success and I was overworked, overstressed, was I was going in way too many different directions. I had shiny object syndrome. So I had two real estate investments. One of them was a commercial property with a, a laundromat. And I was trying to turn part of that property into some self-storage units. And then I had uh, a rental property. Actually, I think at the peak, I had three separate investments going on, which none of them made any money. Uh, and then I also was doing a, a flip on a property. It was it was just you know doing too many things at once, try, desperate to try to get something to work, uh, and, and just chasing the the shiniest object. And I like how you described I was slinging cell phones when I was fourteen. It makes it sound like I was selling them out like out of my backpack. <laughs> you know, like hey guys, how are you selling these them? phones? I got these are hot phones. Uh, eBay. <laughs> this was okay. Uh, there you go. Yeah, it was uh, uh, like European cell phone. So this is back pre pre iPhone. Uh, so Europe at the time, this was like, you know, 2003 or whatever, uh, Europe had, was far ahead of the United States in terms of like the, the pre smartphones, like the very first smartphones. And long story short, I ended up somehow getting like a wholesaling, not contract, but like getting access to the wholesale market. And I could buy you know, the phones in Europe at European prices at wholesale price, ship them to the United States, you know, pay the tariffs or whatever it is that you had to pay back then. And, and then flip them on eBay and, you know, make like 50 to, you know, sometimes $200 a phone. That was it. It was, you know, very simple. It wasn't like some big professional thing, but Hey, at the time, you know, I was you know, 14, 15 years old. I was raking in like 1500 to sometimes I think my highest was almost three grand a month. I mean, I was, I was rolling in the cash, uh, which, you know, when you're that, when you're that old, like that's all the money in the world. But I, no, I did not sell any of them out of my backpack. Well, no, I'd say when I worked for ADP many years ago, there was a payroll division of ADP and they always said, oh man, if you slang payroll, that's what the term they use. So it's just, it's oh, like yeah. the hustle to grind, right? You're just grinding. Yeah, no, out. no. It's, it's just funny. Because uh, the way you described it, I'm sitting here thinking like I'm, I'm hustling like the back streets like, hey, kids, I got these hot cell phones. What do you say? And, you know, like I'm pulling them out of my backpack. Like, you know, if you go like the city and I got like the, the guy who's trying to sell Oakley's out of his backpack, like that was me starting out. <laughs> yeah, like Eminem and 8 Mile, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> awesome. So where did you get this entrepreneurial spirit from? I mean, is it something that dro drove you to maybe get out of the town that you were in, be financially secure? You didn't want to work for somebody? Where did you get the spirit? Uh, so, so I come from a quote unquote entrepreneurial family. You could say my brother, he owns his own business. My dad, uh, he was on a car dealership. So I mean, he was always self-employed for me. It was kind of like, you know, almost serendipity. Like at that time in my life, you know, I was starting to think about college and, you know, at 14 and my goal was, uh, I was a hockey player. I wasn't particularly good at all, but my parents are paying for college. Like that was just kind of out of cards. But so my goal was to do, you know, to play hockey and somehow some way get a scholarship to go to school. And I was starting to think like, Hey, maybe like maybe go to school and, you know, eventually someday get an MBA and go down the business route. And at the same time, like I'm, I'm starting to think about that. My brother leaves the book Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which I recommend to absolutely everybody. It's like 
It's like my financial Bible. He was reading that and just had it, you know, laying around. I picked it up and just, I think I read it in like one weekend and it changed everything for me at that age. Uh, on top of that, I, I also started dating this girl and her dad was, was like the president or vice president of like one of the biggest companies in, in our small town. Uh, so, you know, I had, I had him, I was reading this book, I had my parents and it was like, okay, like I'm going to go down the business route. And that's, it was just all at that, at that one time, at that perfect time that it, you know, everything was hitting me. It's great. No, I love that. Now you went from, now I know you were a high school dropout, right? You mentioned that because you went from a high school dropout to a seven figure business. It's amazing. Uh, What led you to leave high school? So what it was actually, it had a lot to do with hockey. So I remember, you know, I started to realize like, I'm not that good at this. (laughs) And like the, the prospects of getting like the scholarship and whatnot was like dwindling in my eyes. I was realizing that. And what I saw was all these players that were much better than me. You know, I started playing when I was like 10 or 11, they started playing when they were like four or five. So they had like a huge experience gap compared to me. And I, that like again serendipity all these things are hitting me at the same time and I'm, I'm kind of starting to think like what if I were to do like homeschooling I start this cell phone business you know I already had that like kind of going you know what if I were to do homeschooling and focus on that and I don't know where that's gonna go but what if I get started in business now you know at 14 15 I will be ahead of the curve, you know, whereas most people are coming out of college at say, you know, 22, 23, 24, I'm going to be a decade ahead of them. And at 14, 15, I saw that. And uh, I convinced my parents, the long, you know, long story short is I convinced my parents to uh, let me do homeschooling so I could focus more on my business. I had to pay like two or three grand for it. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. That sounds like a good idea. And I never opened any of the books. I never took any of the tests at all. And uh, eventually I was like, listen, guys, I'm just like not going to do this. And yeah, they let me, they let me quit. That was it. Awesome. So you had really supportive parents. I, I was, it was more, I was a rebellious child. At, at that time, I was going through a rebellious stage because, but prior to all this, like I was like a straight A student, uh, all that stuff. And like the writing was on the wall for me that like, I need to get started now. And which is dumb looking back on it. <laughs> like don't quit high school, not a very smart decision. But uh, for me, it was just, I was obsessed with it because I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to be, you know, go, you know, go to college and, and all that stuff and end up, you know, where I was with hockey, like, okay, but I wasn't incredible because I was so far behind of everybody. You know, now, like, you know, you mentioned at the start, you know, I have what, 17 years, 16, 17 years of experience. I'm only 31. And it's because I've been doing this since I was 14. So that's, I, I saw that writing on the wall way back then. That's great. Now, you were bit by the marketing bug, right? You got interested mm-hmm. in marketing. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So, so for me in particular, I, so when I had that cell phone business and, and I also started doing like affiliate marketing at the time, cause it was just easy to sign up for low entry, uh, low barrier of entry. This was like the infancy of 
uh, Google ad AdWords. I think at the time it was just Google AdWords. And this is, this is like pre Facebook and stuff. And the idea of the fact that digital marketing was so much different than just traditional marketing blew my mind. And I don't know if I picked it up in a book or I watched some webinar or I watched some video. I, I don't remember where I picked it up, but I picked up the concept that you could literally buy growth and track it with digital marketing. And that, that you know, it sounds very primitive, but you know, go back 20 years ago, prior to any digital marketing, you know, you maybe did a TV ad or you put a billboard up and, you know, couldn't really tell if you got any more business from it. Whereas with Google ads, like even in the primitive very beginning, you could track and say, I spent a hundred dollars on Google ads and I made $150. And, and just that absolutely blew, blew my world away because it was, I, if I can figure that stuff out, I will be able to just spend money and get more money in return. And that's how I just started focusing on marketing. That was it. That's awesome. So when was the decision made to start your own business, Oakline Digital? So Oakline Digital actually didn't start until the beginning of this year. You mentioned at the beginning in 2016, I scrapped all these business projects. So I, I did talk, you know, how you know, up to a million dollars in debt because I was going in too many different directions. So what happened was, is I scrap everything. And this was the result of a conversation that I had with a long-term mentor of mine where, you know, I was admitted that I was going in too many different directions. I admitted that, you know, I was miserable, overworked, didn't know what a vacation was. Sleep was a nice fantasy to have. You know, I was barely making anything. And I, I literally just that night that I had that conversation with him, I, I went down to my basement office, sat on my bucket chair because I couldn't afford a chair. It was literally just a five-gallon bucket. And I just scrapped every single project that wasn't, if, if it wasn't making money today, to, like I did have some affiliate things that were making maybe a couple hundred bucks a month. If it wasn't like that, I absolutely deleted everything. And I focused just on one thing. That was the digital agency work. But then I took it even further. It was, I'm only going to offer one product, one service, and that was digital ad management. Because uh, at the time, I was doing, it was just like an independent contractor. So uh, if somebody needed a website, they would hire me on Upwork. But at the time, I think it was Elance. But if you needed a website, I was your guy. You needed a logo, talk to Dylan. You needed a banner, boom, I could get it done for you. You needed a PowerPoint presentation, done. And I just scrapped all of that stuff and just focused on the ad management. And because I was so relentless and aggressive about just focusing on one single thing, I, you know, I naturally was like, oh, I need a website. I need to set up a phone system. I need a logo. I need all this. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to focus on getting clients and delivering a service to them break it down to its absolute bare minimum. And that's what I did. So uh, I think it was 2017, might've done like three or 400,000. By 2018, I had seven figures. Didn't even have a website, no website, nothing. Uh, I had an LLC previously that I was just using, but that was it. No website or anything until the beginning of this year. 
No, and it's great that you mentioned the focus was your best friend, right? You really needed that focus because your eggs were in so many different baskets that you said, listen, mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on one thing, give everything I've got, and it really worked for you, right? Absolutely. And I, I probably took it a little too far <laughs> with like, <laughs> not having a website or anything like that. Like, it certainly does make you more uh, feel more professional to have like a decent website and a decent logo and stuff like that. But for me, I had just spent so much time you know, bouncing around from all these different projects, trying to make them perfect before I ever actually launched anything or ever actually got anything out into the marketplace. So it was just, I was absolutely relentless about it. That's great. And learning is part of the process, right? You go out there and you learn by doing and you make those real-time adjustments. It's exactly what you've done. Now, speaking Mm -hmm. of that, what are some of the great learnings that uh, you've experienced from the time you started your business till today? Sure. So, so obviously first thing would be definitely focus, like just relentlessly focus <laughs> on a, on one single thing. And I think the most important, most important thing to every business is simply making the cash register ring, getting sales, getting clients, or you know, in, in my particular case with the agency, like as we get the client better results, the client typically in, increases their ad spend and we make Basically, the business model is is uh, we we charge the client ten percent of their ad spend. So if they spend say ten thousand dollars on Facebook ads, we send them an invoice for a thousand dollars. So as we get them better results, they're they're going to increase their ad spend. We make more money. So you know that's making the cash register ring, in my opinion. But if you're you know an e-commerce business or a, you know different kind of service provider business, like your number one priority should be making the cash register ring. Uh, just relentlessly focusing on that. Second big lesson would be uh, to keep things just brutally simple in the beginning because you you want to fail fast. You want to fail as fast as possible. So get things out into the marketplace, uh, improve your product market fit as fast as possible. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, the MVP, it's a big thing in the tech space, you know, your minimal viable product, your minimal viable service. And there is so much importance behind that. You get things out into the marketplace as fast as possible. And the fastest way to prove product market fit is is, is incredibly simple. And that's get somebody to give you money for your product or your service. You know, focus groups where you talk to people and be like, hey, would you be interested in this product or this service? Like people will lie to you to make, you know, to make you feel better. But until somebody actually gives you money or actually gives you a credit card, that's the only way that you can know that you have product market fit. So relentlessly focus and fail fast. Get things out into the marketplace as quickly as possible. That, that would be, if I had to dumb it down into just two absolutely simple things, that would be it. No, it's simple, but so effective and so important. I mean, if you look at the focus groups, they're so underutilized, right? And they're so important. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Now, you talk about making the cash register ring, but a lot of people are having a tough time with that. How did you go about landing some of those clients when you first launched the business? How did you do it? So in my particular case, uh, typically the, the, the hardest thing to do is to get your first client. Uh, obviously for, for most businesses in my particular case, like when I decided to, to focus on the digital ad management, I already had a client where I was doing digital ad management for them. Uh, it was, you know, one of the many things I was doing and 
But because I wasn't really focusing on it, it really wasn't growing like the client was getting okay results. That's part. That's another thing with the focus is I wasn't getting better at the one thing I was doing because I was doing 20 different things. So, uh, so I already had that one client. And I also encourage people to, uh, you know, if, you, if you're just starting out, to go for the low-hanging fruit, which is, you know, previous clients that you've worked with. And, and that's absolutely what I did to get probably the second and third client. I just reached out to previous people that I, you know, maybe built a website for or built a banner for or whatever. I just reached out to them and was like, you know, hey, you know, I'm offering this, you know, digital ad management service, blah, blah, blah. Here's the details. Would you like to jump on a call? You know, maybe jumped on four or five different calls and, and got two clients, you know, one or two clients doing that. Uh, and then once I started to get some cash flow coming in and actually started to get profits, just simply did Google ads and that was it. Nice, nice. Was there any struggles that you had overcome during this period or was everything smooth sailing? It's tough for me to answer that because for me, it felt easy because I had spent you know, so long in pain and suffering, <laughs> getting nowhere, uh, you know, absolutely getting nowhere, or struggling with absolutely everything. So once like something was actually working, it would just, it was, you know, completely different, different experience. So I'm probably not a good person to ask that because I was, I was probably blind to any of the, the, you know, what would be considered struggles. Like, like when I brought, when I started to bring on team members, like, you know, there was, that was different. I, you know, hadn't, you know, how do I get people to, you know, to do this because I want to design my agency in such and such a way. So I have a certain lifestyle and like that was a fun challenge. Like I, I'm not complaining. I loved it because it was, you know, I actually had a business that was working. So, you know, yeah, sure. There was challenges, but for me, it was because I had gotten, I had got that one thing to work. Everything else just seemed easy. Everything else seemed like not a problem. No, that's great. That makes, a great mindset, great work ethic. And that always helps. Yeah. Now, you know, there's so many marketing companies and agencies out there, you know, this more than anyone. How did you differentiate your company and really stand out amongst the crowd? Sure, this is a, this is a fantastic question, and uh, for me, you know, the the answer is very simply just niching down. Uh, and this is something I teach people too: is just to niche down and get more specific. Either t- typically that you know would be a certain industry or a certain vertical. You can't be. There's absolutely no way that I could have the the world's best marketing agency like that. That's just, I'm not going to be the best person at marketing in the world, but I'm probably am the best company at the world or in the world, excuse me, at specifically helping plumbing and heating companies grow and get more install projects with direct response, digital marketing in the Northeast United States. I'm probably the best in the world at that. Because that's something very niche down and very specific. Uh, so I, I, I really encourage people to pretty much in any vertical, you know, whether you're starting a digital agency or web design agency or a photography business or whatever, where you're not going to be the best you know, photographer in the world. But if you pick a particular type of photography in a particular geographic region, you know, certain things like that, that's how you become the best in the world at something or, or 
uh, put yourself, differentiate yourself from everybody else in the marketplace. And then on top of that, you also get better and better. So if you're only doing, you know, digital marketing for plastic surgeons and you keep doing, you know, you keep adding clients that are plastic surgeons, you're going to get really good at Facebook and Google ads for plastic surgeons. (laughs) But if you're doing, you know, plastic surgeons once one day and then restaurants the next day and then car dealerships the day after that, and then you're building websites and then you're doing logos, you're probably not going to get good at anything. No, absolutely. Now, if somebody came to you and they said, Hey, listen, Dylan, you know, I'm a business that uh, is looking for leads, right? We're a performance mm-hmm. marketing centric business and we have a limited budget. What would you recommend to them? What's the best bang for their buck as far as a method of marketing? Would it be social media, Facebook, SEO? How would you guide them? It depends on the industry uh, and, and the niche, which nobody likes to hear that. I, I get that. Like if you're like a consumer brand or, or can, you know, you're selling to consumers, typically it's going to be Facebook, but not always. Uh, if you're business to business, like most of the time, it's going to be Google ads but not always. But here's, a, here's another good example is I had a student who wanted to target, what was it, auto body repair shops. Yeah, that, that was the niche. And, you know, obviously, I, you know, I teach people how to start a digital marketing agency and typically they're doing Google and Facebook ads. Well, you know, he started, you know, going to these clients and whatnot and it just wasn't working because for auto body repair shops, you know, Facebook ads are just not going to work even though they're selling to consumers typically because nobody's like, oh, I'm on Facebook and like, oh, you know what? I do need to get my car fixed. Like that's just not how it works. So what they ended up doing was focusing on SEO because with that, it's typically somebody searching for it. Google ads worked as well, but but the real winner was with SEO. So that's a, that's a great example where like nothing fits the mold. It, it kind of, you, you, you just have to look at like where where is the best place to typically find these people? Like, what are they doing? Uh, the, the end customer, like, what are they doing? Is it like an emergency need or is it something where, you know, they're actively searching it out? It depends. No, it makes perfect sense, right? It's a custom solution for that business specific to what they're doing, their target audiences and depending on their goals and whatnot. I don't believe in a boilerplate approach. And I, I know a lot of companies out there do, they take the same playbook for one business to the other and it really doesn't serve them, right? It really doesn't, doesn't help them at all. Now, yeah, one, one thing I, I would add is, uh, not to interrupt you, was uh, I really recommend that if you have a limited budget and you know, you're just starting out, you're not working with somebody, you know, you're, you're not working with an agency that that's helping you out. Like you're an e-commerce business and you're doing everything yourself. The absolute worst thing you can do is to try and make multiple verticals profitable. So it's okay if you're going to try out, say, Snapchat and Facebook and Instagram and Google and SEO and Yelp, and you're just like throwing the money out there you realize that you're not going to make a profit and you're just trying to see like what's going to stick. That fundamentally is okay. I don't recommend it. But the last thing you want to do is to be trying all those different avenues, you know, Facebook, Yelp, Google, 
YouTube ads, you know, Snapchat ads. I don't even know how to buy Snapchat ads, to be honest with you. But <laughs> trying all these different things uh, and expecting to try to make them profitable. It's, it's, it's going to be extremely difficult to do that. It's much better to, you know, hey, I'm, a, I'm an e-commerce business and, you know, I've seen Instagram ads work for other people in my industry. I'm going to try to make Instagram ads work. So you only focus on Instagram ads. It's much better to just pick one thing and focus on that. No, I love that. Now, right now, Dylan, you've shifted a little bit of your focus to helping others build their own profitable agencies, right? So mm-hmm. who's a good fit to start an agency? You know, do they have to have advertising experience, a passion for advertising? Who's the ideal client? I built my – I'm launching, hopefully, probably going to be mid-December, the new version of my program, and I specifically – kind of scrapped everything and rebuilt it. Uh, it's the third version of my program that my ideal client is anybody. I, I want to be able to take, uh, I always use the example of a soccer mom or uh, somebody fresh out of college who realizes they don't want to, you know, sit in a cubicle all their life or they don't want to have the inflexibility of, of a job and they want to start their own business. I want to be able to take any of those people, whether they know something about marketing or they have absolutely no idea how to do Facebook ads, be able to take that person in within six weeks, teach them everything they need to know to create a six-figure digital agency. But obviously, if you know a little bit about Facebook ads, like sure, that gives you a little bit of an edge, but my goal is to be able to teach anybody and, and get them started. Well, that's great. That was great. Now, is this an event or a process? Meaning that once this is finished, is it, hey, here's your certificate, you know, good luck, or is it an ongoing process where maybe you stay in touch with these people and see post-launch how everything's going with some maybe advice or tips or something? How does that work? Sure. So uh, with the program, it's called Agency 2.0. All the content is broken down into six weeks. And the goal is, is that by the end of that six weeks, you have everything in place to to start and grow your agency. Uh, but then beyond that, uh, I have uh, do weekly group calls with my students. Uh, and then I am adding a Facebook group here shortly. Yeah, I mean, my goal is to, to continuously be in contact with people. Once, you know, COVID ends and the world's back to normal, <laughs> I want to do uh, live events and actually meet with people to give them more hands-on education, whether they, you know, signed up for the program in December or, you know, they join you know, next January or whatever, no matter when they join, I want to be able to continue to work with them and continue to help them grow their agency. No, that's great. What's the reception been thus far from the people you've been coaching and teaching? Sure. So the closest, so, so like I said, this is the third version of my program. First version was very like brutally scrappy because that's, that's how I do things. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> there was no website. It was just, uh, uh, I made some videos, threw them in Google ads or not Google ads, <laughs> Uh, Google uh, Google Drive, and just sent people the links, and then uh, I think I used GoToWebinar at the time for like the group calls. Uh, then the second version, I actually used Kajabi, and like there was actually a client portal and things like that. That was was a lot better. <laughs> uh, it was a lot more structured, and it, dude, I mean, people have. It, to me, it is it is such rewarding work compared to. I mean, I still own my agency. It still does. You know, I think we probably going to hit seven figures this week. It, you know, I still love that. But helping people, the education company, when I when I'm able to get students who, you know, they join and maybe they 
have some job where they're making three grand a month and they hate their job and they're able to quit their job and make five or six grand a month, that's not changing the world, but that changes that, that person's life. I feel like students are getting incredible results. People are actually taking action, which is the most important part. And uh, it's incredibly fulfilling to me. You make a great point. And because I know you travel the world now before you were working so hard, you didn't have any time to yourself at all and it affected your personal life. Maybe talk to the audience about the positive impact it's had on you being able to free yourself from the burden of being a slave to working nonstop and being able to actually have peace of mind, travel the world. How has it enriched your life? How, what, talk about the changes there. It is very difficult to put that into words because it is no matter how much I could hype it up right now, the expectation is still too low of just how absolutely incredible it is. And it's not about, uh, somebody said to me recently, uh, I've talked a lot about like the four hour work week. I don't think we've talked about that in, in this conversation, but uh, I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. The four hour work week had a huge impact on my life. Great book. I recommend it to everybody. And you know, somebody was like, oh, you live like the four hour work week lifestyle. And I was like, for me, I understand what that means. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I do. And people can get the, the misconception. It's like, oh, you know, you're not working a lot. And especially with COVID now, I'm like, I can't travel. You know, everything's you know, still kind of weird. Uh, you know, I still probably work, you know, 50 to 60 hours a week. But the most important part is that now I can work. I can work on what I want, when I want, and whenever COVID ends, where I want to. So, you know, I can be in Europe bouncing around from city to city and I can work on, you know, what I want. And if I want to take two days off, I can take two days off. If I want to, you know, sit in coffee shops and grind away and, you know, work on something I'm passionate about, I can do that too. And, you know, that whole like soul sucking work <laughs> where you're, you know, working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week on something you hate not having any freedom, you know, you have to get up every day, work nine to five. Even if you have the, the freedom to work, work at home. Uh, I talk to a lot of people who like their employers are like tracking their key, like the number of keystrokes that they make during the hour. Like what is going on? Like I could not even imagine living that life. So, so yeah, the, the, the there's absolutely no, no words I could use to hype it up enough. No matter how much I would hype it up right now, it, your, your expectations are way too low for just how freeing and incredible it is. Well, I'm glad you're experiencing that. I'm sure everything's been better with you and your girlfriend since then. And I'm glad you are sharing that with others and allowing them to live their dream as well. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Now, we have a lot of people, entrepreneurs and business owners, that are really struggling with showing their value and they're hiding behind mm -hmm. low prices. I'd love to get your perspective on this. Yeah. So, so when it comes to, to, to value and, and hiding behind low prices, a lot of people make the mistake. This is probably more commonly with, with services where, you know, I, you know, I need to get more, I need to get more clients. So I'll just, I'll just cut my prices. And what happens is, is when you cut your prices, you end up hiding behind the, the low prices and providing a low quality service. Whereas when you charge more, 
you know, think uh, the, the example I like to use here is, is uh, cars. Think of, uh, think of uh, Mercedes selling $180,000, you know, S-Class, AMG, whatever, you know, whatever it is these days. That is going to be an incredible product. Then think of Chevy selling a, you know, $15,000 Chevy Cruze, I think is what they're called these days. I mean, they're like the, the basic, <laughs> the most basic car. They are hiding behind those low prices. So then when consumers complain, it's like, well, I mean, it was like a $15,000 car. What did you expect? Mercedes stands beside their high prices. So if somebody complains, they're, they're going to take care of that customer. They're going to make them happy because they feel obligated to because they charged a high rate. And, you know, with service providers, it's the exact same thing. You want to deal with people who are paying for quality, who are paying for some kind of result, not searching for the lowest priced solution. That never ends well. No matter if you're a digital agency, you're selling websites, you're a photographer, you're a plumbing and heating company, you're a plastic surgeon, like it does not matter. In 100% of cases, it is better to be the high-priced quality solution provider than it is to be the cheapest option. Because nobody's ever happy with the cheapest option. Everybody's unhappy. You know, you're not getting... You're not getting what you actually want. Uh, and then you can complain, but then you as the provider, you're like, well, I mean, what did you expect? I mean, you, you went with the, the, the cheapest solution. So always uh, increase your prices, in my opinion, which is uh, very much so against the grain. Nobody, nobody recommends that. But I think go be the, the high quality, high service provider and option. Yeah, and it comes down to the confidence, right, and belief in your offering. I mean, you, it's exactly what you mentioned. You get what you pay for. And I'm a firm believer, hey, listen, if we're not the right fit, it's a two-way evaluation, right? We're evaluating each other to see if we want to work with each other. And if, it's, you know, if you are looking for that low-cost, low-service level or you know, lower-quality product, then you want to go elsewhere, right? Our competitors will service you, but not us. So I definitely believe in that wholeheartedly. Now, Dylan, just a couple quick questions here before we wrap up. Now, you are a millennial. And the knock on millennials mm -hmm. is that, I mean, yourself, you're a very hard worker, right? You're very focused, you're hardworking. Is that the exception, not the rule? Because a lot of people, they always say to me, Brian, you know, it's, it's a crapshoot with millennials. Either A, uh, they're very idealistic, they're very purpose-driven, and, you know, you really have to be in line with their values in order to work with them properly. Or it could be, hey, they're lazy, they're entitled, they're spoiled, right? What do you think about that? Tell me about your generation. I, well, I mean, you kind of stole it from me. I mean, you, you mentioned about being, uh, you know, purpose-driven. I think that is certainly with this generation, and I, and I, I think it's going to be more and more going forward with, you know, what are we on now, Gen Z or whatever, that it, it, you have to feel a purpose behind what you're doing. And if you're not, then you're not going to be motivated to work. I really think it just comes down to that is if you're not excited to get up in the morning and go to work, you're just not going to. Uh, I don't know why our particular generation is, because uh, I definitely see like a lot of people that I went to high school with that, you know, they're, they're very lazy, you know, but uh, I think every generation probably has that. 
but ours is much more purpose-driven. And it's the people that end up finding their purpose, they're able to go really far because they're excited about, about doing what they're doing. But if, if they're not, then <laughs> they're going to be lazy. Right. And uh, yeah, I think it, it, all, it all comes down to purpose. No, it does. You know, having a reason and, to and do I know what a lot of millennials. You know, they look at their parents, and you know, they see that yes, our parents sacrificed for us, but they a lot of them are miserable, and they're mistreated and underpaid and overworked, and you know, they want much more than that, and they're not going to settle for anything other than that. So, in a way, that's that's very admirable, right? Now, I think, yeah. not not to interrupt you again, but no, I, I think what, right, you what you pointed out there is really important because I believe a lot of I don't know why this particular generation, but a lot of that, that like looking to, to people who are older and being like, I don't want to live like that. If for me, like I was able to look at mentors that I had when I was 15 years old, 16 years old, and looked at mentors who were, were just people I knew who were millionaires, you know, had, had more money. That, I didn't even know that amount of money existed. and you know, they were 60 years old, unhealthy, living a miserable life. You know, their, their version of vacation was taking a once a year cruise. That just didn't seem appealing to me at all. Sure, they worked hard. Sure, they were, you know, they had money. But beyond that, it just seemed like a miserable life. Uh, and I just was able to realize at a young age, like, I didn't want to do that. And I think a lot of other people, you know, a lot of other people from my generation were able to look to those elders. <laughs> it feels weird saying that, but, and just being like, I don't want to do that. That seems absolutely miserable. I want to do something a little bit different. And I think it has its pros and cons. I think the world is a little bit better off and certain, you know, people are doing work that they're more passionate about now. And that's a good thing. But then there are a lot of people who are lazy, which is a bad thing. So I think it's one of those things where it has pros and it has, it has cons yeah, for sure. It's all about balance, right? Absolutely. Dylan, yeah. it's been fantastic. Any last words of wisdom, thoughts, anything you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I have written this down and this is going to go back to something very specific. You, we were talking about hiding behind prices and whatnot. And I, I forgot to mention it. And I, I think this is, this is specific advice. Uh, it's really silly because it's so specific, but but I think it's worth going back and me bringing this up. I believe when if you're the high quality priced solution, whatever you're, the, you're the Starbucks, you're the Mercedes, what have you, you want to write your outreach, write your ad. You know, if you're doing warm email, you're doing Google ads, whatever you're doing, LinkedIn messages, whatever you're doing, you want to write those. I'm going to call them. I'm going to generalize them as ads. You want to write those ads for people to not click on you. You don't want to waste your time with people who are looking for the low quality solution or the cheapest solution. The hack that I use is I include, uh, you know, if I'm running ads for, for Ogline Digital, I include the pricing in the actual ad. So it's like, you know, minimum ad spend is, is $5,000 or $10,000 a month, as an example. If you're doing websites, put minimum, you know, starting at $5,000. That is a good way to, then you're not, you're not getting inquiries from people who are looking for the cheapest solution. And then you have to have that awkward conversation where you're explaining the value. And then that messes with your mindset where you're like, am I overcharging here? So 
I know that's one specific thing we talked about and that's really specific advice and jumping back, but I really think that that's important. No, I love that. It's very beneficial. I'm sure everybody's going to benefit from that. Now, uh, the last question, very last question. It's a personal question. Just to get to know you a little bit better. You're going to be in an island for the rest of your life. You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? Now, I know what drink you would bring, but we're talking movie, <laughs> album, <laughs> and book. Oh, I'm going to be there for the rest of my life? Yeah, forever. Forever. Uh so if I'm on an island, I'm a hockey player, I'm going to bring the, the movie uh, Mystery Alaska uh, with okay. Russell Crowe. It's a, it's a hockey movie. I absolutely nice. love that one. Uh, let me see if I'm bringing a book. I got I, I know you can't see me right now, but I have like a whole bookshelf. Uh, and if I'm going to be there forever, I'm probably going to want some kind of fiction. Uh, if, I could get, if I could condense all the Harry Potter books into one. There you go. It'd be a big book. That would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Give me just give me all seven of them in one version, and and yeah, I'll take that. And then what album? Yeah, let's uh, presume that I'm stuck on that island with my girlfriend, and if that is the case, then we're gonna take uh, some Taylor Swift album, probably Reputation. But what if you weren't with her? What would you bring for yourself? Because if you're with her, she'd probably bring that album for herself, and you can bring one for yourself. Yeah, and I'm gonna end up listening to it all day long. <laughs> uh, if I was if I was bringing it for myself, see, I, I yeah, I grew. I'm a millennial, man. I don't really know albums. Uh, I'd probably go with some Fallout Boy album. Okay. Uh, I don't know the name of the album, but it's whatever album has Bishop's Knife Trick on. That is that is like one of my all time favorite songs. Great, Dylan. It's so. been fantastic. How do people get in touch with you and connect with you? Absolutely. Uh, real simple. Uh, my website's dylanogline.com. Uh, Ogline's O-G-L-I-N-E. And uh, I do actually, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we, I put out a free ebook. You just have to put your email in to, to get it. And then I'm going to bombard you with a bunch of stuff, uh, a bunch of spam, because that's just how I do things. <laughs> that was that was sarcasm by the way you can't see my face but uh no it's uh dylanogline.com forward slash six all spelled out s-i-x and that is my uh sort of just a free short ebook uh the six steps to a six-figure agency wonderful dylan listen appreciate everything thank you for what you do you're inspiring many people out there and allowing them to live the life they've always wanted to live and be financially free have a beautiful rest of the day and uh keep up the good work Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great honor. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.